This is Murray, sir, said Williams. Mr. Churchill moved his cigar to his left hand. I took his extended right lightly in mine, taking care, as I had been warned, to avoid clasping it firmly. The great man shook my hand, inspected me carefully, and belched. This is a podcast for the infinitely curious, where we share stories, invite others to share stories, and sometimes just talk for the hell of it. So, take a few minutes out of your busy day, sit back and join our host, Steve Windus, batting the breeze. Redecorating can be a pretty thankless business. But have you ever had a situation where you were stripping wallpaper or perhaps removing an old bathroom cabinet to reveal some handwriting? Handwriting that someone had left on the wall before putting up the cabinet in question or before wallpapering, with a view to you discovering it at an undetermined date in the future. Well, that happened to Kerry last year. She'd just moved into her new home in Wookie Hole, a village in the southwest of England, set in the wonderful Mendip Hills, notable for its rather quaint name, and its historical caves inhabited by humans for over 40,000 years. Kerry was on a mission redecorating her new home. On one particular afternoon, Having removed much of the wallpaper in the hallway and up the stairs, she was merrily wielding her scraper to remove any last remnants of wallpaper when she noticed some handwriting. Had she taken one more swipe with the scraper, she would have removed it from existence, and this story might never have happened. The handwriting was dated 1971, just over 50 years ago. Kerry dutifully recorded details of the inscription and realised that she had enough clues to be able to track down any offspring of the gentleman in question, a certain Edmund Murray. After some investigation, she located Bill Murray, son of Edmund, not too far away in Oakhampton on the edge of the Dartmoor National Park. They talked on the phone and arranged to meet so that Bill could see his father's handwriting for himself. And in December of 2022, Bill and his wife Carolyn arrived in Wookie Hole. Right away. Here we go. Oh, it's up there. Yeah, it's not there. So, as you can imagine, I'm scraping away. Look what I've done. I'm mortified. But you've well, no, filled in the gaps. It's done a brilliant job. Isn't that I mean, wonderful? So, this is the bit here that. that... Was 1916 tonight. And then he signed it. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, Kerry. I know. And there's a lady that lives next door. So funny. I went running next door. Somehow, I'd managed to muscle my way in on this wonderful moment. After some reflection, everyone relocated to the kitchen for a cuppa, 
and Bill very kindly allowed me to turn on the recorder while we were chatting. What were your initial thoughts when you saw your father's wall art? Well, I was really surprised. It came from nowhere, didn't it, really, just the conversation. I suppose because it's my father who's written it, it's a happy memory. It's a happy memory. It's the sort of thing that he would do. didn't surprise me in that respect. He had a good sense of humour, and he would get something in his mind and then see it through. And To actually write something, a spontaneous thing, probably between, I don't know, mixing up wallpaper paste or something like that, it, it didn't surprise me at all, really. There is something I haven't got round to sharing with you, and that is, who exactly was Edmund Murray, and what was his relationship to possibly the most influential world leader of the 20th century? So, would you like to tell us who your father was? Well, my father was Churchill's bodyguard. There were other bodyguards while Churchill was um, leader of the opposition and also Prime Minister. So from 1950 to 1955, Dad was working with other bodyguards. After 1955, Churchill wanted Dad to actually be his bodyguard for the rest of his life. So Dad did another 10 years as, uh, as Churchill's personal bodyguard. As it turns out, Edmund Murray led an extraordinarily colourful life, as we'll see in a moment. However, the early years were a little bit greyer. Dad was born in County Durham. His family were miners. As far as I know, they've been miners for a few generations. Dad wasn't old enough to go down the mine, but uh, he would work at the pithead and look after the ponies that were taking the trucks of coal, transporting them out of the mine and uh, to, to, I suppose, the, the railway sidings. He did that for a couple of years while he was still at school. He did well at school. He was quite a clever guy, really. The family moved to London. Edmund finished school, worked with his uncle Joe in the Hoban restaurant, and then, just before the war in 1937, Edmund... Got a one-way ticket to Calais. And joined the Foreign Legion, signed up there, went down to the south of France to do his initial training and then over to Algeria and uh, did uh, eight years in the French Foreign Legion from 1937 to 1945. He was quite smart, my father, as I said, and he was a good soldier. And being quite smart, Edmund decided that there may be some benefits in joining the band. He was a natural musician. He could he one of these people who could just pick up an instrument and learn to play it very quickly. He had a very good ear for music. And he was a very good singer. And so he joined the Foreign Legion band and that gave him quite a few privileges in terms of not having to go out into the uh, to desert to fight because um, he was more valuable looking after the band and he was working on the administration side of the band as well as being a musician. Edmund continued to spread his net as wide as he could. He also taught English. He taught English to the officers' children around the barracks and uh, in the town as well, and he made a bit of money on that. He became very friendly with quite a few of the senior officers in the Foreign Legion. His other privileges were to take visiting celebrities around, around the town, people like Maurice Chevalier. On one occasion, 
on Bastille Day, I think, they went to perform at the celebrations in Paris. It must have been just before the war. And uh, Dad did dance with Marlena Dietrich because she was there joining in the, in the fun, I suppose. Maurice Chevalier and Marlena Dietrich, both Hollywood film stars, primarily of the 1930s and 40s. Marlena Dietrich was actually recognised for bravery during World War II. As a German, she spoke out against Hitler loudly and vocally. Despite being on a wanted list by the Nazis, she performed for Allied troops on the front line in France and other locations. With that in mind, I would thoroughly recommend you check out her rendition of Where Have All the Flowers Gone and challenge you not to be moved by it. In the early part of the war, Edmund was allied to the Free French, led by General Charles de Gaulle. At this point, the allegiances of the Foreign Legion were quite complex, with some elements supporting the Germans and others supporting the Allies. Edmund, in 1940, took a long boat trip around the Cape of Good Hope, where he spent five or six years in Indochina fighting uh, the Japanese, doing a lot of sabotage work, until... Tonkin was invaded by the Japanese, and then they had a long retreat to the borders of China. Edmund had served over five years and decided to submit his resignation. The next five years saw him land an assortment of roles, fairly disconnected, but all continuing the travelling theme. He spent time in India teaching British soldiers skills as varied as jungle survival and parachute jumping. He went behind the lines on several occasions parachuting out of planes and then having to find his way back to India from uh, where he'd landed. Next up, his strong language skills, developed in the Foreign Legion, enabled him to secure a job with the news of the world, travelling Europe, exploring the state of bombed-out cities from the war. This led to a job escorting tourists around the very same cities. On one such trip to Lucerne in Switzerland, Edmund met his future wife... Bill's mother, Beryl. He'd taken a group of tourists to the Flora Garden. During the evening, as his singing had become well recognised there over time, he was invited up on stage to sing a few songs. As he stepped down off the stage, he was approached by a charming young lady dressed in black lace from head to toe, who asked Edmund in perfect English if she could have the next dance. Edmund said later that he knew his bachelor days were over before the end of that waltz. They were married on the 26th of December, 1947. Shortly before the marriage, Edmund was accepted into the Metropolitan Police in London. And then, in August 1950... Two significant events followed in the same month. First, the birth of his son, William Anthony Lawrence, and the second, an assignment as bodyguard to Winston Churchill. Dad had been shortlisted and then offered the post. Well, he was just called Mr. Churchill in those days. He hadn't actually become Sir Winston. And uh, it, it's the sort of offer when you're in special branch, that you'd be very silly to refuse. And uh, this is an extract from my father's book as to how the interview went. 
This is Murray, sir, said Williams. Mr. Churchill moved his cigar to his left hand. I took his extended right lightly in mine, taking care, as I have been warned, to avoid clasping it firmly. The great man shook my hand, inspected me carefully, and belched. We diverted the conversation at this point because Bill mentioned that he actually met Winston Churchill a number of times. I remember Dad saying to me when me and my sister met Sir Winston at 28 Hyde Park Gate that Sir Winston did have very, very soft hands. That was absolutely true. Very friendly hands they were. And a smile, and he looked at us. I mean, we're children. We're children. I was probably maybe five, six years old. My sister was a couple of years older. My little sister a couple of years younger. He'd have something in his mind to say to us, like, you're the oldest. Oh, you're the middle son and you're the young one or something like that. He couldn't remember our names, but he would know my age because he knew that I was born in 1950 during the same month as dad took on his uh, job as bodyguard. A glorious 15-year relationship ensued, which we'll take a look at in a future episode. But inevitably, it had to come to an end. And in January 1965... Churchill died at the grand age of 90. And that was really the end of Dad's association, not only with Churchill, but with also the Metropolitan Police, because uh, having worked so closely with Churchill for 15 years, he couldn't sit at the table or at a desk just doing ordinary mundane tasks. And he resigned. He resigned, I think, probably after he'd done 18 years service. If he'd have stayed to 25 years service, then he would have got a pension. Edmund then bought a hotel in Devon, the Burton Hall Hotel. While the move was good for Bill, it had a full-size snooker table and five miles of trout fishing, it wasn't so good for the family cash flow. And so the story goes full circle as Edmund moves to Wookie Hole. He sold the hotel and moved to Wookie Hole where he he looked after, it was a Madame Tussauds exhibition, it was called Titania's Palace, and it was like a great big doll's house. I only visited it and looked at it once, and that was probably enough for me, really. Wookie Hole was a great place to visit, I had the caves there, and we always enjoyed coming up here. I suppose Dad and Mum stayed here for a couple of years, and then Dad managed to get a job with the Admiralty in Bath, and they moved to Coombe Down, where they lived happily ever after, really, from, I suppose, 1974 until Dad died in uh, 1997. An extraordinary life. Edmund had started out in and around the coal mines of County Durham in the 1920s and 30s, but went on to a life of such colour. He mixed with royalty. He charmed them all. Eleanor Roosevelt, Grace Kelly, Jackie Kennedy, Maria Callas, Margot Fontaine. He batted the breeze with Greta Garbo and he danced with Marlena Dietrich. He mingled with the world's great statesmen of the mid-20th century. Harry Truman, JFK. President Eisenhower knew him well enough to call him Ed. But his charge perhaps was the greatest statesman of them all. 
Sir Winston Churchill. So, if you ever find yourself removing an old kitchen cabinet or stripping wallpaper, just keep your eyes open because you never know what you may find. If you've enjoyed batting the breeze with us, please share the podcast with a friend and perhaps leave a review to help new listeners find our show. Check out show notes and other great stories at battingthebreeze.com. By the way, if you have stories that you think would be informative, amusing or thought-provoking, emotionally stirring, or perhaps would deliver a message of hope or inspiration, then why not head over to battingthebreeze.com and let us know. Thank you for listening.